You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Second Corinthians uh, chapter number 10, um, we're taking a look at, at Paul is uh, really uh, writing to the church to encourage them. Um, we took a look at in, uh, chapters 8 and 9, Paul talked about their financial giving and the way that they could be an encouragement, uh, be a blessing and prove their love for God through their giving. Uh, as we uh, move into chapter number 10, uh, Paul really begins his own defense. Now, just to give you a little bit of backstory on Second Corinthians here. Paul had pastored the church at Corinth for about 18 months or so. He had left uh, and had to write several letters back to correct some bad behavior. Uh, he wrote one letter, which we currently do not have. Um, and it tells about, basically, he said, my first letter that I wrote to you, I said, don't keep company with fornicators. So he addressed some type of sexual sin in the first letter. The second letter that we know of that he wrote is 1 Corinthians, not to be, not. Not confusing at all, right? Second letter, First Corinthians. Uh, then he wrote uh, after he left, uh, uh, he came back and uh, for a little bit between First and Second Corinthians and dealt with some uh, sin issues again. And during that time of his visit, there were some false teachers that were in the church. Uh, these false teachers were drawing people away from sound doctrine and were saying things that were negative towards Paul. Paul wrote them a, a very sternly worded, worded letter, which we do not have, uh, and asked them to repent and to cast out the false teachers and deal with the false doctrine that was in the church. Uh, and many of them repented. He had Titus hand deliver the letter to the church at Corinth and read it to them. Hey, Paul says this, uh, and then the Bible says that many of those repented, uh, but some did not repent. Some didn't make things right with Paul. Some still uh, were uh, disciples of the false teachers. And these false teachers had leveled several claims against Paul. Paul's only in it for the money. Uh, Paul uh, writes really harsh letters, but when he's here in person, he's kind of a sissy. Uh, Paul uh, says that he's something, but he's really just trying to run your lives for you. And so in chapter 10, we really see Paul's defense of his own character come in. I'm entitled tonight's lesson, The Marks of a Spiritual Leader. We've taken a look at over the last several weeks, and as we looked at chapter 10, uh, how uh, we, uh, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against uh, other people, but we're fighting a spiritual battle. And that it's uh, m- many times it's a battle of our mind and our thoughts and our hearts and how we're to cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Uh, verse number seven here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 7. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts himself that he is Christ's, let himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed or I shouldn't be embarrassed in any way, that I may not seem as I would to terrify you by letters, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this, that as we are by word and letters, when we are absent, such we will be indeed when we are present. Verses uh, 11, he answers the criticism that people say, oh yeah, Paul talks all tough when he's writing letters, but when he comes here, he's not that way. He says, hey, guys, get this here. If I'm talking to you sharply in letters, when I come, I'm going to talk to you sharply. The same guy that you get as I write letters is the same guy that's going to come visit you guys shortly. Uh, Verse number 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number 
or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are coming as far as you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Paul's dealing with uh, some false teachers that were obviously puffing themselves up, obviously putting themselves above Paul. Mark this down. Carnal Christians will do whatever they can to put down other Christians in an effort to build themselves up. Now, we're not talking about calling out false teachers. Uh, again, when we call out false teachers or people that are teaching doctrine that's contrary to the Word of God, we should call those out. Paul called those out in Scripture. Hey, this guy over here is teaching false doctrine. Let's run away from that. But any time where you have a Christian that's tearing down another Christian for the sake of making themselves look better, just know that is a mark of spiritual immaturity on their part. Paul doesn't really mind it so much. Paul's concerned that his name be kept good because his name is that of an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a follower of Jesus, and so he wants to protect the name of Jesus. Paul isn't greatly concerned about protecting his own name or what people think of him, but he's greatly concerned with what people think of Christ. We take a look at verse number seven. He says, do you look after the outward appearance? Are you guys just looking on the outside? Are you just judging from what you can see on the outside here? If any man trusts himself that he is Christ, in other words, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to think again because we are also followers of Christ. Hey, you call yourself a Christian, you need to check your heart because we're also Christians. And you postured yourself up against other Christians. Christians shouldn't fight with other Christians. There should be unity in Jesus' church. We should all be able to get along. And so he says, those that are coming after me, do they call themselves Christians? And are they just looking on the outside? First of all, when we look at spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders find their worth in Jesus. Paul didn't say, hey, I was once the pastor of that church. How dare you say that about me? Hey, don't you remember I discipled you? Don't you remember that I led you to Christ? He doesn't find his worth in his accomplishments. Now, mind you, Paul had accomplished a whole lot. Paul wrote uh, the majority of the books of the New Testament. Uh, Paul planted many, many churches uh, by stopping by, meeting people, gathering them together, starting a church. Uh, Paul uh, gave the uh, instructions to new pastors, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, Titus. He told them how to be good pastors. Paul had the opportunity to really lay out his accomplishments and how good of a Christian he was, but he didn't do that. He just said, hey, guys, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ, and Paul found his worth in that. Surface judgments are rarely accurate. You cannot judge another Christian's life just by what you see on the surface. You really need to get to know them. I've met Christians who were angry before, just only to find out later that they just had a bad day. Have you ever met somebody before and you think to yourself, that person does not like me whatsoever, and then come to find out later they're just having a pretty crummy day and they actually like you okay? That happens to all of us, and Paul says, are you guys just looking on the outside? Are you guys judging me just based on some letters that I've written? You don't even know me. 
And we can't make surface judgment about other Christians based on what we see on the surface. And Paul um, said, hey, I'm just a follower of Jesus. Despite what others say, we must recognize our worth in Christ. Now, Paul writes to uh, defend his character because behind his character is the word of God. The word of God rests upon the fact that Paul was the author of the word of God. And Paul says, hey, when you tear down my name, you're tearing down the name of Christ also. Paul wasn't, again, really that concerned about what other people thought of me. He said, hey, you judge me. I judge my own self every day. First Corinthians, he said that. But the idea here is that Paul didn't find his worth in how popular he was. If he had, he'd be greatly, greatly discouraged. Uh, Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, in prison, uh, again, wrongfully accused of doing things. And he didn't find his worth in his accomplishments. He found his worth in Jesus Christ. Secondly, spiritual leaders use their position to build up others. When I say spiritual leaders, I'm not just talking about pastors here. I'm talking about those of you that would consider yourselves a man or woman of God. You can't find your worth in who you are or what you've done. You must find your worth in Christ. You can't use your position to serve yourself. You need to use your position to build up others. Verse number eight. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, hey, I could brag all day about how I'm in a position of authority as an apostle, which Jesus himself chose, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed or I shouldn't be worried about that. Paul said, uh, hey, I could use my position to tear you down, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to build you up on the other hand. We must use our influence and our favor to build up others. Every single person in this room has a sphere of influence, people that you have the opportunity to positively or negatively impact in your life. And God has given you that authority not to get things for yourself, but to build up other people. He says, I want to use my authority that I have not to tear you down, not to be ugly towards you. I want to use it to build you up instead. Uh, Paul, I really believe that these, even these false teachers, he prayed that they would come to faith in Christ. He, he prayed, I'm sure, that they would fall in line with sound doctrine. But until then, that the church at Corinth would have enough uh, biblical understanding to cast out false teachers. But Paul wanted to use his influence for the purpose of building up others. Next, spiritual leaders lead by love for truth and grace for others. Take a look at verse number nine, that I might not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Paul writes and says, guys, I'm not trying to scare you or be mean with you when I write these letters to you. He even says when he writes in 1 Corinthians, guys, I wish I could talk to you like men, but I have to treat you like little kids. And I'm going to tell you, he chooses his words uh, carefully to make sure that he communicates the truth there, that he's not trying to be ugly to them. He's not trying to be mean to them. Man, I remember uh, my uh, eight weeks of boot camp in the Navy. Man, you talk about being led by fear. Everything was led by fear. Everything. Hey, something as simple as, as fold your T-shirts was terrifying because you didn't want to fold it wrong. Ever been to Navy boot camp? Skinny, fat, fat, skinny. That's how you're supposed to fold your t-shirts, right? I remember that to this day. Why? Because I was terrified to do it wrong. Everything was led by fear. Know this. Spiritual leaders don't lead by fear. If I'm encouraging you to walk with Jesus, I'm not going to have to coerce you or manipulate you into it. I'm not going to have to put the fear of God into you to do what I'm saying to do. What compels us? What compels us? A love for Christ. 
a desire to see his name made great. And spiritual leaders lead by a love for truth and grace for others. Paul loved the word of God so much. He loved the church at Corinth so much. He wanted them to grow in maturity. He didn't want to just scare their pants off. He wasn't trying to just be mean to them for the sake of being mean. That was one of the charges that was leveled at. Well, Paul just wants to run your life. Paul didn't want to run their life. Paul just wanted to encourage them to spiritual fruitfulness. You see, carnal leaders lead by fear, guilt, and manipulation. Unfortunately, I've seen pastors who lead their congregations by fear, guilt, and manipulation. And just know this, it never works. You can't guilt trip somebody into following Jesus. You just can't do it. You can't manipulate someone into loving Jesus. You can't scare somebody into following Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Even when I share the gospel with people, I, I don't try to scare them with how bad hell's going to be. I t- try to encourage them with how great Jesus is. Because I don't want to lead with fear. I don't want to manipulate people with my words. I want to point them to the greatest thing that mankind has ever known, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want them to see how great he is from the word of God, not from some fear that I can conjure up in them or some feeling that I can manipulate or something that I can tweak in a way that I I can get something out of it that I want. Paul says, I'm not writing you to, to be mean. I'm not writing you to try to scare you. I'm writing you because I love you. Number four, spiritual leaders are consistent and transparent. Verse number 10, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will be also indeed when we are present. Uh, Paul writes in here and he says, hey, people have been saying that I'm, I write really harsh letters, but I'm a, a kind of a weak guy. Just know this, the same guy that wrote these letters is the same guy that's coming to visit you shortly. They were making fun of Paul in this case here because Paul, by his own admission, was not a great orator. In uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, I wrote to you not with the, the knowledge and the wisdom of man, but by, by the word of God. I didn't try to write, use big words to confuse you on how great of an orator I am but I tried to just communicate to you the word of God. Spiritual leaders, in this case here, have a love for God and his word and being able to communicate it appropriately. Paul, in this case, was the same guy that you'd see on the road as the same guy you'd see uh, teaching in the church one day. He was transparent. He was the same guy. He was consistent. For me, when uh, God called us to pastor and start this church, I wanted to do something for my family that I thought was really important. I wanted to be the same guy on Monday night at the dinner table that I was on Sunday morning in the pulpit. I want to be consistent across the board. I didn't want to get up on Sunday morning and, and, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you for being here to worship on the Lord's day. And and then on Monday night, be a totally different guy who's totally checked out. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be consistent. Now, that's tough sometimes, especially in the world we live in today. I'm telling you, every single time I, I hear another person preach the word, I think to myself, ooh, I want to be like that person. I don't know if you've ever heard of Adrian Rogers before. Adrian Rogers, is a, he's in heaven now, but he was a great pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. And he had this great southern drawl that he had, and he had all these little witty sayings that he would say and stuff like that. Every time I hear Adrian Rogers, I think to myself, I want to preach like Adrian Rogers. And I think to myself, I need to get a deeper voice. I need to get a deeper voice. 
I need to talk a little bit slower. If you know me, slow and talking don't go in the same sentence together. I was listening to uh, uh, John Guy preached last Sunday night. And, and man, I don't know about you guys, but I was helped by that. Uh, remind me at the end of the service, I want to tell you guys what our church did for, for the Guy family uh, before I forget. Uh, so if, if I forget, somebody remind me of that before we dismiss tonight. But I was listening to him preach last uh, Sunday night. And he, he just preached for like almost an hour. And it was just so good. It was methodical. It was thought out. It was very uh, um, well-spoken. Uh, when, when Thatcher has preached here before, Thatcher's the type of kid that, that plans everything he's going to say out from beginning to end. And usually, here's the, the thing about Thatcher too. If I ask him to preach, generally he'll come in here on like a Friday night or something like that and go through his message like three or four times. I mean, he'll be in here for like two or three hours preaching. He'll stand in front of the mirror while he's, while he, he's fixing his hair. And, and I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up, but he's done that since he was in high school. And when I hear him preach, I think to myself, ooh, wow, that's really good. That's very polished. And then I listen to like clips of myself preaching. I'm like, I'm just a spaz. Like, I, I think it just all runs together and it's a big mishmash. And it's only the fact that it's the word of God that it makes any sense with anybody whatsoever. And very, I listen to myself and sometimes I'm discouraged by how bad I am at what I do. But I'm thankful that the word of God is just the word of God. I say all that to say this, I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. The guy that you get here is the guy that's going to go to the gym in the morning, the guy that's going to, uh, you know, make breakfast in the morning for himself and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm just trying to be transparent. I'm trying to be real. And my wife says sometimes I do that to a fault. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't be so transparent. Uh, but um, I, I just, it's the only way I know how to operate. Paul says in this case here, hey, what you see is what you get. It's important for us as Christians, we must never pretend to be someone that we are not. Know this, it's only a matter of time before your other self is found out. You try to play both sides of the fence. You try to be a committed Jesus follower on Sunday and then live for the world the other six days of the week. Know this, it's only a matter of time before you're found out. Only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before somebody uh, shares some photo on Facebook and tags you in it with, with uh, a beer in your hand at a bar. Just know that it's only a matter of time. If in, and if, if, if that's how you want to be known, let that be how you're known. It's only a matter of time before somebody tags you in a Facebook post with a dirty joke in there and say, oh, this was funny. I heard this from you the first time I heard this joke. Just know this. It's only a matter of time. It's going to happen. So how can you fix that? Just be consistent. Just be the same. Just be a committed follower of Jesus Christ seven days a week. And you never have to figure out which hat you're going to put on. Oh, today I'm going to put on the Jesus hat. Tomorrow I'm going to put on the world hat. You never have to do that if you're consistent. Paul says, the letters that I write, that's just me. And it's the same guy that you're going to see when I show up there. I don't think Paul wrote that as a threat. First number 11, you can almost read that as a threat. Hey, the same guy that wrote those letters in Word... He's getting ready to show up indeed, and just let me tell you this, it's the same dude. I guess you could take it as a threat. I don't think Paul meant it that way. I think he just meant what you see is what you get. 
Uh, Paul probably wasn't a big, strong, tough dude. That's why I always love uh, Sunday school illustrations, you know. And Jesus is always white with long hair that flows and is perfectly, like, has the perfect amount of curl in it, you know. And I think to myself, first of all, Jesus was not white. Second of all, he probably didn't have really long, flowy hair. Uh, next, Jesus probably wasn't a, a little skinny, emaciated dude that they put on a cross. He was a man's man. He walked everywhere he went, which means he was probably in pretty decent shape. Uh, he was a carpenter, which means he cut down trees with his bare hands, I think it was probably a pretty tough dude. So these little skinny, emaciated Jesus, this is lily white, is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's funny too, sometimes you see pictures like Paul and Silas in prison, and Paul's like this big, tough, buff dude, you know, and, and it looks like a, a tough guy. I think this, based on this, uh, people calling Paul weak in public probably didn't mean he was a tough dude that you would be scared to walk through the front door of your church. Probably just an average dude, but he said, hey, the guy that you see is the guy that you get. He was transparent. He was consistent. He just tried to live for Jesus in everything he did. Next, number five, spiritual leaders strive to be their best for Jesus alone. Spiritual leaders aren't concerned with impressing other people or being better than someone else. I think pastors can sometimes even fall into this trap of uh, comparing their uh, accomplishments to another person's. Oh, this guy started a church five years ago and he's running 5,000. Why are we only running a couple hundred? <laughs> it's easy to compare things like that. Oh, this guy, uh, I love it when people, and it, please don't take this wrong if you've ever said this to me, but I love it when people say, yeah, well, my last pastor, you can just stop right there. <laughs> just My last pastor, he was a better preacher. I'm sure he was but you're not there anymore. So uh, my last pastor used to do it like this, like that. That's fine. I don't want to be compared to anybody at all because I'm my own man. Paul says in this case here, I'm not trying to get into a contest with the other teachers in the church. My goal is not to be a better uh, servant of God than them. Take a look at verse number uh, 12, if you would. For we dare not make ourselves of the number. I'm not trying to get involved in the crew that would compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they that measure themselves by themselves. You know what? He says, you guys are making up your own rules for what makes somebody a good followers of Jesus or not. And he says, I'm not willing to get into that. I'm not going to throw my name in the hat to be put up on the leaderboard with everybody. I'm not interested in that. Verse number 12 is a verse that many of us should circle, star, underline, memorize in your, in your Bible because it says this, comparing ourselves among ourselves is not, what's the word there? Wise. What's the opposite of wise? Foolish. It's foolish to compare yourself with anybody else, save one person. And that person is Jesus. I want to see how I'm doing it being Christ-like. That's a good comparison. How is my life reflecting the life of Christ? How would Christ handle this situation, and how can I handle this situation? That's a good comparison to make. But verse number uh, 12 here. Measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Comparison's a no-win situation. Just know this. You will always find someone doing worse than you. Always. And you'll feel better about yourself and you'll be puffed up with pride. Always. Or you'll find somebody that's doing a lot better than you and you'll compare yourself to them. And then you'll be down on yourself because you're such a loser and you'll never be like so-and-so. And you take your eyes off of Christ and you put it on another person. You will always lose when you compare yourself to someone else every single time. I want to compare myself to Christ. And I also want to compare myself to myself six weeks ago. 
six months ago, six years ago, and find out, am I making progress? If I can compare myself to myself six months ago and say, I don't love the word the way that I did six months ago. I need to check my heart. I need to fix it. If I'm not concerned for the lost, those that don't know Jesus Christ, like I was six years ago, I should check my heart. If I don't pray like I used to six weeks ago, I should check my heart. But I'm not going to compare myself to do I pray as much as Brandon prays? Do I read the Bible as much as Larry reads his Bible? Am I concerned for the lost the way that Brian's concerned for the lost? I don't want to compare those things. Why? Because it's not wise. Paul says, I'm not going to try to, to measure up to what anybody else thinks that I should be. I want to measure up to who Christ says that I am. When we compare ourselves with others, we no longer need God's commendation. I don't ask myself when I'm comparing myself with other people, I don't ask myself, is God pleased with my effort? Is God pleased with the way that I live my life? Is God pleased with my daily routine? No, I just compare myself to other people. I, uh, I heard a quote one time, I forget who said it, it was one of those uh, revivalist preachers who says, uh, you know, I have so many things in a given day that I must spend at least four hours in prayer every morning. I'm just like, what? Dude. If I spend like four minutes in prayer, I start my mind starts to wonder, and I think to myself, "I'm a loser. I'm a terrible human being." I, I don't. I've, I'm just going to be very transparent and honest with you guys this tonight, okay? I've never in my entire life prayed for four hours straight. I just haven't. I've tried before. I've fallen asleep. My mind wonders. I think to myself, "Did I leave the stove on?" And it's just my mind. And I can look at that and go, "Anthony King, you are a terrible." excuse for a human being. Okay, you, you think of the apostles when uh, Jesus went to pray in the garden. He came back and found him asleep. He said, guys, could you not just pray with me for an hour? And then I began to say, ooh, Jesus expects us to pray for at least an hour. 60 minutes is the perfect window of prayer, right? And if I don't hit it, guess what? I'm such a loser. I'll never even measure up. But how about comparing myself to where I was six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago? Am I making progress I want to compare myself that way. But here's the thing. If I receive commendation for myself, that's what he's saying here. They're commending themselves, talking about how great they are. If I've received commendation of myself or if I've measured up to some standard that I set, I no longer need to worry about what God thinks because I'm doing good. Who really cares what God thinks? I'm doing good. But Paul says we seek a greater commendation than uh, commending ourselves. Next, we must compare ourselves to Jesus alone. He's the place that I want to compare to. He is the goal. The Bible says it would be conformed into the image of Christ. That means be pressed into the mold of who Jesus is. That's what I'm shooting for. Am I like Jesus? Nope. But I tell you this, I'm probably closer than I was six months ago because I'm trying to move forward. You see, there's this constant process of improvement that we have in our walk with Christ. You see, Pastor, you're, you're, you still got room to improve? I got a ridiculous amount of room to improve. And I hope you do too. If there's anybody here tonight who says, I'm, I'm, I've maxed out. I've kind, of, I've kind of hit the ceiling as far as where I can be in my walk with Christ. Let me just tell you this. You made it farther than the Apostle Paul because he says, I haven't made it yet. And because of that, I'm going to strive forward to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ because I'm not there yet. So if you think that you're there, I would, check you to, I would ask you to reanalyze the situation. 
in light of scripture and see how you're doing. But compare yourself to Christ. Final thought here tonight. Spiritual leaders work together for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Verse number 15, not boasting of things without our measure. Again, not making up metrics to say that I'm better than somebody else. That is of other men's labors. But having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Paul says, I want you to grow spiritually. Verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things ready to be to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not that he commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that uh, the false teachers that were in the church at Corinth were trying to get in on Paul's fruit and count that as their fruit. And he's like, hey, I don't care who gets credit for it because all glory goes to God for this. Hey, he dealt with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of, of Apollos. Some say I'm of Peter. Other people say, oh, it's of Jesus. I don't follow any man. And he says, hey, it's not about that. Everybody knows the glory goes to God, but we all have a part to play. And he says, in this case here, anything that I've done in my life, I don't get credit for it. God gets the glory for that. Verse number uh, uh, 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Hey, if, if God's done something good in your life, give God glory for it. Somebody walked out of here today, and uh, one of the, our guests that came in said, Pastor, that was an outstanding message today. I said, man, praise God for that. It's just the Bible. And they said, well, thanks for preaching the Bible. And I said, I don't know what else to preach. And they go, well, there's plenty of people out there that don't know what to preach, obviously. But, hey, I'm not going to take credit for that. Hey, it's the Bible. Glory to God for that. If God's done anything good in me, man, he gets glory for it. He gets the credit for it. If anything good's ever happened to who we call a Baptist church, let me just tell you, all you got to do is hang around for about 24 hours. You see there's a lot of good stuff going on here, a lot. If anything good's ever happened here, God gets glory for that. We don't get credit for it. If anybody's going to glory, let us glory in the Lord. That's why I'm so fired up about our five-year anniversary celebration because it's not about, oh, look at what we've done. It's like, praise God for all that he's done. And you and I just get to be a part of it. Let me just tell you this. God's at work here. What we're experiencing is not normal. What's taking place here doesn't happen in every other church in America. And what God's done here in the, the last five years in our city is nothing short of miraculous. And we praise God for it. And if there's any glory to go around here, it all goes to him. And I'm not going to compare myself to other people. Where, where were other church plants at five years old? I don't care where they were. I know what God's doing here. What about XYZ Church? I don't know nothing about that church over there. What about their, I don't know anything about their pastor over there. Well, he's a better pastor than you are. Good. I'm, I'm thankful for him if he's preaching Jesus. But at the end of the day, I have to say, did I do my best for Jesus? If the answer is yes, I say glory to God for that. If I say I haven't done my best for Jesus, I'm going to say tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and do my best for Jesus and start moving the right direction. That's what Paul's talking about here. We must boast in Jesus alone. That's it. If you got something to brag on, it's bragging on Jesus. Sometimes people say, oh, that was a great message. I'll say, well, well, thank the Lord for it. Praise the Lord. And I don't say that as a trite statement. It's the fact that I, I have nothing whatsoever to offer other than what the Bible offers. I'll tell you this. Everything that I've ever said here from this pulpit is 100% plagiarized from the Bible, 100%. The messages that I preach are not these deep, witty messages that it requires a great Bible scholar for. And again, I don't think you have to be a Bible scholar to understand the Bible. It's God's word to mankind. 
It's simple. The Word of God is very simple. So much that a child could understand it. And if there's anything to brag about, it's about we're going to brag about how great our Savior is. That Jesus Christ was God. He left heaven's throne, came to earth to be one of us, to walk amongst us so that he could feel our pain, so he could be tempted with the temptations that we are, so he could know what it's like to be like you and I. He lived a perfectly sinless life for one purpose, to die because of his love for us. And he sacrificed his life on the cross, on Calvary, because of his love for me, his love for you. Because of that, all those that put their faith in Christ get a new beginning. The old Anthony King's dead. He died a long time ago. But the new version, not improved, totally new, is here today. And I say, glory to God for that. I, I boast in Christ and what he's done in my life. My family is better because of Jesus. My marriage is better because of Jesus. My quality of living, and I'm not talking about the things that I have, I'm talking about the joy that I have in my heart is greater because of Jesus. The peace that I have is like a peace that I've never known in my entire life because of Jesus. And tonight I can say, I boast in Christ and Christ alone. I have nothing, zero zip, zilch that God has not given me. Nothing. And I owe it all to him. So as Paul writes this letter, he says, guys, it's not about me. It's not about anybody who wants to compare themselves with me. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. You and I, if we seek to do anything great with our lives, we can't be looking at what other people are doing. We can't look how other people are serving. We can't look at what other success people have. We just got to look at ourselves. Stay in your lane. Stop looking at everybody else's race. Stop trying to run other people's race. Do your own thing. I remember... uh, Several years ago, I had ran the uh, L.A. Marathon. Uh, back probably, it would have been 2009, I ran the L.A. Marathon. They had it on a Monday. It was the first time ever they had had it on a Monday, and so I ran on a Monday because I can't skip church and, and run a race on Sunday. And so I ran on a Monday. It was awesome. It was so much fun. But they started off, and they have what they call pace groups, where if you want to run a five-hour marathon, there's a dude with a big sign that says five hours on it, and everybody just stays with that dude, and he makes sure that everybody crosses the finish line at five hours. And they have a four-and-a-half-hour uh, guy with a sign for that and they had the four hour and like four hour marathon is kind of the, the place where you say like that's a, that's a really good time good for you uh, the five hour is, is, is good it's commendable that's about where I was at or, or something like that and then you have like the six seven eight nine ten hours you know and when you get to like twelve hours you could probably walk it and that's okay it's a good accomplishment it's 26.2 miles there's nothing to be ashamed of there but it's funny the, the guy that was carrying the four hour stick by like mile three, there were people that were sprinting to catch him and then double over with their hands on their knees. And they would sprint to catch him and they stop and they double over. And I'm just like, you're not going to make it. And you're three miles into a 26.2 mile race. You have 23 more miles of sprinting and doubling over that you have to do. You will not make it. But somewhere in the back of their mind, they thought to themselves, I got to get a four hour marathon. I think Oprah Winfrey one time ran a marathon in like four hours. And if you cannot run Oprah, like seriously, what does it say about who you are as a human being, right? I've never outran that. Uh, but I'm just saying. But these people had this idea in their mind they want to run somebody else's race. You can't do that. You can't live like that. You can't constantly sprint and then double over because you're trying to be something that somebody else wants you to be. You can't do that. You have to be who Christ created you to be. 
You can't compare yourself to other people. You will lose every single time, but you can focus on Christ and focus on your own personal growth and development to be a stronger, better Christian who's more useful to Jesus than you were yesterday. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. So that's our plan this week. Continue the path of growth. For every one of us, it looks different. For some of you, it might be prayer. For some of you, it might be Bible reading. For some of you, it might be church attendance. Some of you might be church membership. Some of you might need to be baptized. Some of you might need to be to take God at his word in your giving. Whatever it is, we're going to make forward progress together. And we're going to be better than we were yesterday. That's what God's called us to do.